0: The Bible says that we should uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, and uh, we should weep with those who weep. And uh, so we rejoice with you this morning. We 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 mourned and we wept with uh, uh, with friends and family members of June Lowry this week. And and so we see both sides of uh, of those things that we are, are are called to, and we do we do celebrate. Uh, we are going to talk about, actually this morning, how to respond to God's blessing. So uh, Patrick's uh, testimony is, is uh, helpful to, to get us into that place as well. Uh, before we go there, though, I just, I have a, I, I've got a, a, a gift card I wanted to give out to someone here. If anyone wanted a Tim Hortons gift card, um, just, I, I wanted to, to give it to you. Just come on up. It's a Tim Hortons gift card. I just wanted to to give it to you. If you just come on up, if anyone wants it, great, great. Yeah, you just come on up. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. No, Molly, Molly, you the 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 invitation was to come up and actually get the gift card. So please, please. Yeah, there you go. You're you're very welcome, very welcome. No, no, that's that's it. There, there's no uh, there, there's no there's no conditions. There's no. Uh, uh, extra charges. I really appreciate you coming in and uh, sharing in in that way. Um like no judgment on the rest of you. But you know, I'm 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 a little curious. I I was giving something away and I I'm kind of wanting to know why didn't you didn't come up and receive it. And uh, you you for instance. Uh, <laughs> like are are you are you independently wealthy or something you what, why didn't you come up? I just didn't want to leave my seat. Didn't want to leave your seat. Okay, yeah? Sugar-free, caffeine-free. Yeah. Hey, the, have you been to Tim Hortons lately? They, have, they do have other options on the menu. You've got a variety of things that you can... You can uh, what's that? You're not a frequent shopper. It, it's, it is a Canadian pastime, all right? And the rest of you what you you just don't trust trust the pastor? Dirk told us not to participate. Dirk told you not to participate. All right. No, it it's interesting because uh I I I gave away a free gift and and I was it was like pulling teeth to get someone to finally come. And if it was just a, a Tim Hortons gift card, that, maybe, maybe that's not a big deal. Maybe you don't trust the pastor. Maybe you don't like Tim Hortons. Maybe you don't like their new menu. But I think there is something inside us that gives us a reluctance to receive something for free. Uh, JP didn't even want to get out of his seat. <laughs> like that was too much for him, right? Right? He was—he's about the closest one to the to the podium here. He, he could have been up here in about six steps, and yet we are reluctant to receive a free gift. That—that's that, troubling because, according to the Bible, God's gifts to us are free. It, God's most profound gifts—the things that He holds out to us—eternal uh, life. Forgiveness, salvation, heaven, those things God gives as a free gift because we couldn't, we couldn't pay enough to receive them. And yet, many of the same dynamics that took place with all of you this morning, except Mally, and you, you put up your, your hand. I appreciate that. That was a start. Uh, but but the same dynamics that kept most of you from coming forward and receiving a gift are the same things that are often creating obstacles from you receiving from God. We, 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 make, we make excuses. We feel reluctance. There are things that get in the way. Uh, we feel those things and they hold us back. But when it comes to God, they're they're very serious things, and one of the uh, one of one of the obstacles that uh, that that can that can get a, get in the way is 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 a pride, it, it, a sense that I need to pay for this, or I'm only going to have the things that I earned, or or maybe you know there are other people that need this more than me. I think I can I think I can get my own coffee. I think I can I, I think I can make my own way. Um, where heaven and hell are concerned. Well, this morning I'd like to talk about how to respond to the grace of God, to the free gift that uh, God offers us. And and that free gift may be, uh, may be the salvation that he holds out to you. Uh, it may be the kind of uh, a blessing that uh, Patrick testified to. Uh, or it could be some other blessing uh, that God offers in your life and, and uh, something, something else that, that He would hold out, and something in you that says, I just don't think I can take that, that I can receive that. I feel like I need to earn it. I feel like I need to, to do something. Uh, to do that, I want uh, to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 15, and we are uh, continuing this story of Naaman. Uh, the the Syrian general who was healed of leprosy. Uh, In the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 289. And we're picking up the story uh, uh, just as he has been healed of uh, his skin disease. And through uh, God's intervention, he is now clean and whole. And it actually says his his, uh, skin was like a young child. So I'll start reading at verse 15, 2 Kings chapter uh, chapter 5. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon." When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, "Go in peace." This is the word of God. Now the passage here gives one wrong way and then two right ways to respond to God's gracious gift to us. And it starts by teaching that you don't respond to God's grace by trying to buy it, thinking that there's somehow some way that you can earn it or pay your way. Anytime we think that we can even accounts with God by something that we do and something that we give, there are problems created. God is offended by that. And uh, we, we learn that you don't respond to God's gracious gift by trying to buy it. You see how this is brought out in the passage. We said Naaman had just been healed of a skin disease. It involved him listening to some strange instructions from a prophet. He had to trust that this God would do things that just, on the face of it, didn't seem to to involve uh, human strategies. He had to go for a, a dip in some murky water of the Jordan, Jordan River, but as he did, he was healed gloriously and miraculously. In verse 15, he's marched all the way back to the prophet Elisha, and now he's standing in front of him with his full entourage. He, he, has, uh, he has arrived there, and he offers Elisha a gift. Now we need to say that this coming and offering a gift and saying thank you on the face of it, uh, just expressing appreciation is a good thing. It, it's something that is commended um, elsewhere in scripture because, uh, because God, God loves gratefulness. He loves uh, expressions of appreciation. There are important reasons why Elisha has to refuse this particular gift, but we need to at least say that the the, the heart that says, I want to give thanks, is is a good one. I I say that because in the Gospels, at one point, Jesus healed 10 lepers, and one of them came back to Jesus, expresses his thanks, and Jesus says, where are the other nine? I, I I, I thought I healed 10 lepers. Why is there only one guy coming back to me? So the expression of thanks is is a good thing. But when Naaman offers a gift to Elisha, he responds in verse 16 by saying, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. Now when a prophet invokes the name of the Lord in refusing something, you know he is standing firm. It it is about as strong a refusal as you can give. And, And possibly knowing what a huge uh, sum of money this is and the potential temptation that it would be, it, it could very well be that Elisha is uh, stating this as strongly as he can, not only for Naaman's sake, but for his own as well. He knows he needs to draw a very clear line in the sand here. And, and at first, Naaman thinks he's just being polite because he presses him. He, he, he tries to, uh, uh, it says he urged him to take it. But elisha's not just being polite, has nothing to do with manners here. And to understand what's going on, we need to back up to where we were two weeks ago, where we learned just what kind of gift this is that he was he was bringing. We, we saw in verse five that that this gift wasn't a Tim Horton's gift card. it wasn't a, a tie or, or some small token of appreciation. It was an enormous sum of money. He had come weighed down with silver gold, and and uh, elaborate articles of clothing. It would be enough to make a prince out of this prophet. It would be enough for Elisha to, to build a large palace and, and uh, acquire a small army. And it represents Naaman's old way of approaching life. He, he'd been used to buying his way out of things. He'd been used to fighting his way out of, out of challenges And so uh, as he deals with this problem, he figures, well, that would be the appropriate thing to do. Naaman is a power broker, and he's used to dealing with power brokers. He approaches Elisha like a power broker. And Elisha knows that this gift could leave Naaman thinking that he had paid his way, that he had paid off God and evened accounts with him, and that he was clear and free. So he needs him to see that God had given him a priceless gift of grace. Simon needed to learn the same lesson in Acts chapter 8. He was a a sorcerer who uh, experienced the grace of God, came in contact with uh, with the apostles, received the gospel, saw their power and thought, I want that. He, at one point, offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. We think sometimes that we can buy our way out of situations, that we can use our control, our influence, our good works, our uh, whatever, whatever we have at our disposal to get our own way. And when we bring that attitude into our relationship with God, it becomes very dangerous Trying to pay for a gift uh, is, is, uh, creates difficulties on a number of levels. First of all, if, if you buy something, you control it. And, and so certainly there was some sense that uh, uh, Naaman, Naaman could, be, could be put off that way. If you earn something, you deserve it. But he needed to know that this was a gift, and a gift is different than something that you can purchase. Trying to pay for a gift cheapens it as well. If you go to someone's house and they prepare for you a nice meal and then you slip them a $10 bill on the way out, it it offends them. It offends them because it takes an act of love and friendship and hospitality and it turns it into a business transaction. It, It treats them like they're a fast food restaurant. And something similar happens in our relationship with God when we think we can pay him off through what we do, through our accomplishments. God's grace isn't doled out to the one who prayed the most, to the one who read their Bible the most. It doesn't come as a reward for good service. God's grace comes to us free. That was a hard lesson for Naaman to deal with, and it's something that you and I continue to struggle with. It continues to affect the church. It continues to seep its way into how we relate to God. So we don't respond to God's grace by trying to buy it. But how should we respond to it? What, what can we do? You respond to God's grace by lowering your pride. Uh, that's the next thing that, that this passage teach, teaches us. God's grace should humble us. Recognizing that we can't pay for it, that we can't earn it, that we are powerless in front of it, and that it is only something that we receive as a free gift, God's grace is is something that should humble us. Now one of the ways that Naaman expressed that was in his declaration in verse fifteen. He said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Whenever I see the word behold in the in the Old Testament, it always feels a little stiff and wooden. It's a, it's a word that we don't use very much. But it translate th- translates this great Hebrew word that you often use just before you were going to say something really important. So whenever I see behold, I think, get this. And, and I, and I kind of brace myself for what's going to come next. And, and he says, get this. And, and then he will uh, talk about uh, uh, just how, how he has come to see God. He says, I know that there's no God but the God of Israel. That was a huge position for him to come to. Everyone in his world was a polytheist. Everyone in his world believed in multiple gods. Oh, there's the God of Israel and the God of Syria, the God of thunder, the God of the, of the valleys and the God of the mountains. To, for him to have come to the conclusion, no, this God is like, is, is like no other. All of those other gods that I have believed in all of these years, they're counterfeit, counterfeits. They're people who have made up stories, trying to convince people of, uh, of a of, of way of doing things, trying to control people in various ways. He had been humbled in his understanding of God, and it made him completely reorient himself to him. And God's grace is intended to do that. When we are are faced with the gift of God, we respond in the humility that says, I am going to stop talking and I am going to start listening. Listening to God. Listening to God as he's revealed himself. Uh, Listening to to him as he has shown himself in the pages of Scripture. So lowering your pride involves letting go of false views of God. It also involves letting go of our self-importance. The, the, the idea that we have something magnific- magnificent and, 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 and amazing to offer. As Naaman experienced God's healing, he realized the things that God can do are so far above the things that he could do. Even someone as powerful and as influential as he was, he recognized that next to God, he was powerless, and it, it humbled him. It made him rethink how he saw the world. John the Baptist came to the same conclusion when he saw his ministry dwindling. And more and more people were going over to Jesus, going to follow him. And he kind of found himself at one point kind of out of work. Like he, was, he had been a big deal, and now in pointing people to Jesus, he realized, well, there's not many people left that are listening to me. And a proud, a, a proud man would have, would have competed, Find, found a way to win them back. How do I get the crowds onto my side? How can, I, how can I improve my follower level? And instead he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He recognized this is good. If, if more people are seeking after him, more people are going after him, and that means that I, I don't have as many people gathering around to hear what I say, that's Okay my role is is ultimately not that significant. It's about him. And that's what the grace of God does in our lives. It humbles us. It, it helps us to see our lives in light of him and in light of his glory. Probably the biggest challenge in lowering your pride, though, is submitting to other people, especially God's leaders. You can see the transformation in Naaman's life in this regard because in the beginning of the chapter, we saw that he was the commander of the army. It says he was a great man. It says he was highly favored. Like, he was a big deal. And he was used to be treating, being treated like a big deal. And when he first showed up to speak with Elisha, he was expecting the grand reception. People to really roll out the red carpet. And when he didn't get it, he was furious. But look what has happened now that he's been touched by the grace of God. Watch what happens now that he has received this free gift and seen the glory of God. He is described in different ways. Notice in verse 15, he says, so accept now a present from your servant. Verse 17, he asks that the earth be given to your servant. He vows that from now on, your servant servant will not offer sacrifices to other gods. Finally, in verse 18, he says twice, pardon your servant, pardon your servant. Five times in as many verses, he refers to himself as a servant because he recognizes that he has been humbled by the grace of God and his his titles as general, his victories in war, his accomplishments in Syria are ultimately not 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 all that significant in, in the grand scheme of things. He has been humbled by the grace of God and been brought to recognize God's greatness. And it brings a, a humility before other people. He humbles himself before uh, God's leader here. The Book of Hebrews picks up this concept when it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you." Now you and I know that far too many leaders have abused this position of authority. And so that makes us rightly cautious. We exercise wisdom, we practice discernment. We don't don't think that this kind of authority should be treated lightly but we don't toss out this kind of authority either. And having been touched by the grace of God, we submit to one another and we submit to the leaders that God has placed placed there to serve us. It's it's an expression of what God does in a a person's heart. A person touched by the grace of God will have that spirit of submission. There'll be a joy to lead. They won't make groaning for, uh, for, for those who, who have been called to, to lead them. So you d- respond to God's grace by lowering your pride. Finally, you respond to God's grace not just by bringing yourself down, but by lifting someone up, by lifting up Jesus Christ. Worship is a natural overflow of a heart that's been touched by the grace of God. Because we recognize, I have nothing else to offer. What could I give to, to God? I, I can respond by glorifying him, by praising and worshiping him. You respond to God's grace by lifting up Jesus. Now I love the result of the back and forth between Naaman and Elisha over the gift. When he realizes that Elisha is not going to accept his gift, he doesn't just go away. He asks Elisha for a gift. (laughs) He's getting good at this receiving gift thing. He's going to ask, see if he can get another one. And he doesn't ask for money of him. He doesn't ask for, for, give me some of that power so I can do this. He, he asks for two mule loads of dirt. He, he wants to express worship. He's come to the conclusion that if he's going to worship God in a foreign, foreign land, at least he can glorify God by worshiping him on holy soil. Likely, he's going to take this earth back to Syria and build a, an earthen altar. Uh, it, it, one of the, the, these kinds of earthen altars were, were fairly common. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, God instructed Moses that if you're going to construct an altar, this is the kind of thing that you can do. Uh, there are kind of instructions for, for how a very simple, uh, unadorned, statueless, uh, imageless uh, altar might be, uh, might be built for God. But he heads back to Syria with that commitment to worshiping God, to expressing his praise to him. He's just determined to honor him as holy. And I love that nobody tells him he's got to worship. He, he, didn't, he didn't go to Elisha and he get, get some rules. You really should worship God worship God, you need to do this and do it so many times a day. And you gotta, He didn't get any instruction. He just knew a God this good, a God this powerful, this gracious, he deserves my praise. How could I not praise him? How could I not worship him and glorify him? Some people want to worship the God of the Bible without dealing with his exclusive claims. But again, I I love that nobody needed to teach Naaman that the first commandment is to have no other gods before him. To give him our exclusive allegiance. He he didn't need to be taught that. In verse 17, it says, From now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. He's come to understand there is no other god but him. Again, he didn't grow up thinking that. His parents probably didn't think that. His grandparents probably didn't think that. Probably his his uh, uh, colleagues in, in the military didn't think that. We know that the king didn't think that. And yet, having been touched by the grace of God, he says, I can't explain it, but I know that we don't have any God like that. I, I know that all of, uh, compared to what I have experienced of the power of God, all of these stories that I've been told, all of these traditions that I've been raised in, that I think that's just been made up. I, I think that maybe it was meaningful to someone, maybe, maybe people were sincere, but this is a reality, and I need to give him my exclusive worship. Notice also that he doesn't say, "Well, we just all use different names for the same God." This is amazing. No, he recognizes that the reality before him, that this power, this one that has come by the grace of God, this this God is the true God. And he gives him his full worship. I also love the way he counts the cost. Now, Naaman is a military strategist, so this maybe shouldn't surprise us. As a commander of, uh, of, uh, of soldiers and warriors going into battle, he has been trained to anticipate what's going to come next. He's trained to think ahead, walk a number of steps down the road to anticipate the challenges and the obstacles. And he can see, if I'm going back to Syria, I'm going to have some serious obstacles. There's a challenge. Because I serve a king that doesn't know about this. He doesn't know about uh, the... The, the power and the reality of this God that I have come to experience. He describes the problem scenario in verse 18. He said he's going to build an altar to the Lord and he's vowed he's not going to worship any God but the Lord. But in serving the king, he's going to be required to go into this temple of Rimmon, and uh, the, the king is going is to take his arm and, and he's going to be offering his sacrifices and he's going to be bowing before him and And he's already made the commitment. I'm not having any part of this. I'm not worshiping that God anymore, but he recognizes that appearances being what they may be, people are people could think God might get the wrong impression. God might not know my heart, and so I want this to be clear and and yet he submits himself again, the humility. He's not calling the shots for Elisha. He's not telling God how things are going to be. But he, he, he calls on him for a pardon. He says, don't get the wrong impression. Don't, don't think that this is, uh, uh, th- that this is uh, me going back to my old ways. I've drawn the line in the sand. And Elisha hears him and sends him away with his blessing. Elisha at this po- point is probably so stunned of the... The, the commitment and the, the allegiance that this, uh, this Syrian general has expressed toward his God. Because at this particular point in history, Naaman's faith is so far beyond the average Israelite who were gladly worshipping all of these other gods, gladly giving themselves to almost anyone but the Lord, as we saw earlier with the king of Israel, didn't even want anything to do, didn't even seem to be, remember his prophet he is so, so moved, by, moved by this that God would have given him this grace to recognize him and to praise him and to worship him. I think we also need to say it's an amazing thing that, Elisha, that, that in, in speaking with Elisha, Naaman doesn't just say, I can see that things are going to be really complicated back in Syria Maybe I could just stay with you. Maybe I could just set up, I could be your personal bodyguard, kind of run security for for you as a prophet. He he, he is going to go back into a hard place. He's going to go back to a place where worshiping the Lord is not going to be easy, where there are going to be challenges. And yet he is committed to expressing that worship to him. And so the question we're left with is, God's grace moved you to worship? Do you express your love and your gratefulness to God? Do you use words to to tell him how much you you have experienced of him? Do you praise him for who he is? Do you express that worship on Sunday and as Naaman did throughout the rest of the week as well? C.S. Lewis wrote this of worship. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise, listen for it, not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. He gives a number of examples. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It's frustrating, he says, to have a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. Or to come to... uh, Uh, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with, again, the frustration. And then finally he says, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him that in expressing our praise, in communicating our worship, in giving back thanks, we are bringing to fulfillment our enjoyment of a God who is gracious in his gifts. So have you let the grace of God move you to worship? Do you complete the enjoyment of God's goodness by expressing it to him in praise? Do you give worship the priority that God deserves on Sunday? And having given priority to God in worship on Sunday, have you found ways to express that worship to him? To communicate your praise of him the other days of the week as well? Have you let the grace of God humble you? Are you still trying to prove how important you are? How big a deal you are? how much you kind of deserve it? Or has the realization settled in of just how awesome he is? Has the grace of God given you the humility to submit yourself to others? To recognize God's grace has leveled the playing field. I'm not on a pedestal. If not, then maybe you're one of those people who won't accept Tim Hortons' gift cards. Who thinks you've got to pay your way. You've got to earn your place with God. If so, I want to close in hearing the invitation that God would give to us from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 55.1, he says, Come, everyone who thirsts come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's God inviting us to receive a gift that satisfies, that fills. And knowing that we don't have either the the money or the ability or the works that, that could earn it for us, He invites us to receive it free of charge. We receive it free of charge because Jesus has paid for it. His death on the cross has made possible a gift that is beyond us. And yet, like the water, like uh, like the gifts that God gives, it is exactly what we need. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we struggle to receive even small gifts of grace. And your your grace is so much bigger. Strip us of the pride that says we've just gotten what we deserved. We don't deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve your acceptance. We don't deserve your goodness or faithfulness. So humble us before you. Humble us before one another and help us to give you the praise you deserve. For we worship you in Jesus' name.